Ashley. I'm Katie. I'm Audrey. And welcome back to Vicious Appalachia. So I mentioned in Audrey's episode that my family was worried about me moving to Lexington for safety, right? And I had mentioned that I had said, I mean, I mentioned some stories that have happened. Somebody tried to break in on me one time. Great stuff, okay? Sunny day, week before, um, it was a couple weeks ago. Sunny day, I go outside. I had just bought a new car, my own car sitting there, and I'm going to sell it to like a coal miner who just needs to drive a couple miles or junk it, but I need to get some shit out of it, right? It also has two flat tires, so there's not much I could do with it, like vacuum it out. So I just wanted to like get all the stuff out. So I'm out there doing some shit, being productive. Starts to rain. I run inside. Oh, no. Okay. Fast forward to 5 a.m. I wake up to a bang on my bedroom window like a consistent like well I jump up grab my gun me and my little seven pound dog run to the door okay in the meantime I've grabbed my phone and saying that there's a ton of missed calls I'm like someone is dead (laughs) and I see a cop I see a bunch of cops one being my brother so I open the door for him to tell me someone has died and he already kind of has like RBF. Um, he's a cop. Maybe that's like part of it. I don't know. So I open the door, t-shirt and underwear, cops out there. My brother. He said, mind you, I'm, I'm half asleep. <laughs> Where's your black car? Oh, gun in your hand. Yeah, well, I had to put that away. <laughs> I was like, he's like, where's your black car? I said, half asleep. I'm like, where's my black car? He said, you're a dumbass. It's been stolen. And and frantic me. I was like, my car's been stolen. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay. And he's just cracking it. He's like, go put some clothes on and come back out here. So what had happened is someone had broken into 20 cars that night. Broken like windows, took stuff out, but they hit the jackpot, or at least they thought, when they ran up on my escape because I had the keys in it, it was unlocked. And they thought, yes, I have made it. My auto theft days are made, here we go. And so they make it about a mile and a half down the road until they realize, hey, this piece of shit has two flat tires. So they leave the car, door open, car running, someone calls it in as suspicious. So cop goes and checks it out. They rate, they like run my tags over the radio. My brother's like, shit, that's my sister. And he's like, maybe she's going to the gym and took her old car, but wait, it's awful early. And he's like, they have like a code name for family or whatever. So Kobe's like, look for whatever. I don't know. And so people are like, like the cops, like looking for me, he's like, the door's open. He's like, there's no one here. Kobe's like, what the hell is going on? So they're looking around like in the area for me. So mind you, my brother's trying to call me. He's called my mom now, scared the shit out of my mom. No one can get a hold of me. They probably think I'm dead. And like, I know he'll never admit it, but I know in his little cold stone, cold, stone cold heart that <laughs> he was probably scared. But meanwhile, I'm up here snoozing away. So 
about an hour after stealing it, um, it's it's coming back on the tow truck up my little avenue here that I live in. And at this moment, it was, I was appreciative that I had a car payment that I was about to pay on my new car. Cause I'm like, that piece of shit can't even be stolen. <laughs> you know, a car is bad when it can't even be stolen. So I have to pay the tow bill now. Like it's up to me to pay the tow bill. Are you kidding? That's no, I have bitched about it. And they're like, you should turn it in on your insurance. And I'm like, oh yeah, let me tell them. Hey, I'm a dumbass and left the keys in the car. For yep. it to be stolen. I was like, nope, can't do that. I'll just have to eat it, I guess. But I hope, and I hope who I hope whoever stole the car is listening to our podcast today. And I've learned a valuable lesson. When stealing a car, please check to make sure that it has air in the damn tires. <laughs> to a week later i'm ranting on facetime to my mother about something god knows what i get a knock on the door i was like oh no who could it be I look to the people it's a man in the brown jacket i'm like why is gps knocking on the door oh then i'll just look, leave that shit i open the door it's a damn sheriff he's got his little papers in his hand he's shaking he's all his shit he's like <laughs> he said uh he said man is this uh is this blank blank a and I was like, yep. He said, is this you? I won't spill the name, but clearly it was a male's name. I said, do I look like this? He said, no. And he starts to look behind me to see if there's anybody in my house. I was like, it's just me and my dog. He's barking crazy. He's like, you sure this ain't you? I said again, do I look like this? I said, my name is Ashley Branham and I can get my license to tell you or to show you. He's like, well, he says blank blank a and i said well let me see there i said well that is clearly a b and that is upstairs <laughs> so somebody was having like you know paper served to them and here they are trying to serve me and like think they're hiding in my house it's like um if your neighborhood is way more eventful than mine <laughs> right and people are like oh gotta be scared living in lexington it's a scary place i'm like well hell so is where i live now it's been my life I hate those moments where like something crazy is happening and you're like half asleep. Oh, I, yeah. I cannot stand it because, or if something like, or if you're half asleep and somebody's having like a whole conversation with you and like the next day, like you have no idea like what really happened. Like if I was in your shoes, Ashley, the whole time I would be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what what is happening am I dreaming I because those are like your whole entire experience like I would never even think that like I don't know it would it seems like a dream so I would be like it did wake like up Audrey you're dreaming right now here I go back inside and what up what I throw what I find to throw on my body is a hoodie and pajama pants that are covered in my dog's face and I ran out there <laughs> Mad out of hell, like who stole my car? <laughs> like I'm just like pacing around frantically in chewy pants, like who stole my car? <laughs> it was insane. And there was like four cop cars. The tow truck was coming in at five thirty. <laughs> like what's going on? I'm like, get back in your house. <laughs> this is humiliating. <laughs> it's not a cat this time. No, it is not a cat. <laughs> It's not They're a cat. probably thinking you're the cause of it all because like the common denominator in all these stories is you. Yeah. I mean, you know, this dog, my, my baby will bark <laughs> if the wind blows outside. 
honey, we were, must've been snoozing away that night. Cause not a peep came from his little ass. The very next day he's barking at, I don't know, somebody walking outside. And I told, I told him right then and there, cause I like, don't you ever bark again. When I needed you, you didn't come through. <laughs> so now he's snoozing somewhere he don't care well what's crazy is the day before i got a call that hey you got the apartment this is your moving day i was so pumped but my anxiety that i talked about you know before was oh my god everything that i've been working for is happening like is this too good to be true i was trying to practice affirmations like you deserve this you're a bad bitch this is going your way but I still had this anxiety, like something's going to go wrong. And crazy enough, when the car got stolen, I was like, there she is. There's Ashley's luck. <laughs> and we're coming around somewhere. <laughs> Thank you. And as crazy as it sounds, it was like, it's kind of calming. Like I was like, okay, because what I did learn from it is I am moving to a larger city and I do live in, you know, Eastern Kentucky, where we tend to take advantage of the small town culture and, you know, leave your cars unlocked, leave your door unlocked, you know, you don't really think it happens here. So, and like, I'm big on like universe and manifesting and like learning lessons. And it was like, okay, maybe I needed this to happen to make me more self-aware of just being cautious and being safe. That's what I took it as. I was way more calm than I thought I'd be. But I mean, at the time he said it was stolen. I was like running around in circles, chasing my tail. My car's been stolen. My car's been stolen. <laughs> like an idiot. But it's all good now. It's all great. And now we laugh about it. <laughs> so welcome back uh, to episode three of Ambitious Appalachia. As promised, this episode is going to be all about Ashley. So let's meet Ashley. Um, so Ashley, everyone else got this question. So now you've got to go through the ringer as well. Um, but when you think about Appalachia, what comes to mind? So I think of home. So this is where I grew up. This is where I was born and raised. And this is where my family is. And the culture I grew up in and also think underrated and um to touch on what you said Katie in your episode I have a love-hate relationship with the culture because I definitely think there are um some aspects of the culture that can definitely catch up to the times but I say underrated because I feel that we have um a stereotype placed on us that doesn't really portray who these people are and who we are. And, um, you know, we have a lot of intelligent and successful people that just don't get the respect that they deserve because of that stereotype. And um, so, yeah, I think of home and just that we're under, underappreciated, underrated, undervalued. So, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts around it. And I'm proud to be from Appalachia. I don't want anyone to think that I'm saying it's all bad, but I think there are definitely things that the culture could use some changing with. Yeah. And I think that it's important that you make that distinction, you know, that you love Appalachia and that you're proud to be from Appalachia, because I think what people don't realize is when you love something, you know, you're not afraid to like want to make it better. And that's typically like 
you know, the way people show their love is to try to make it better or, you know, make life better for the thing they love. So I don't know. I appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of times people think that when you're being critical of something, you're doing it from a uh, not well-meaning place. And like you're doing it from a, this is my home and I want it to be the best place it could possibly be. So. Ashley, did, what do you think? Like, how do you think that this stereotype has affected you now? You know, like I'm sure you've experienced it all throughout your life and even now. So how do you think that that has affected you at this point? Well, I really haven't, um, I really didn't notice it until I was, um, until I started traveling. And again, it really didn't affect me, right? It was just people like, oh, I love your accent, blah, blah, blah. But I noticed that I'd heard some people say, you know, of course, by traveling, like our accent makes us sound not as intelligent. So I noticed it in meetings with my new job because they're based out of Maryland and there's, you know, people from all over the nation in these meetings. And I noticed it immediately when I was trying to talk like this, when I was changing my accent, you can't hear my charm. And I was like, not myself, not myself at all. And I was in a meeting with someone and they're like, I notice your accent changes when we're in these larger meetings, but I want you to feel comfortable, you know, being yourself, being who you are. I love the accent. I love, you know, the intelligence that you represent from that accent. Um, That's how the stereotype will change is being who you are, but speaking your truth and these, you know, intelligent words you're saying and thoughts. And that's how, you know, the stereotype will change. And it was a great conversation and it's so true, right? Like if I'm trying to change the way I talk, to sound more intelligent it's playing into the stereotype that because I have a twang I'm not as intelligent and so that's the number one thing I think of is just the the accent and how you know even on like SNL or you know any type of um comedy shows you know when they talk about um hillbillies or rednecks they throw that twang on there and it's oh we're just dumb people you know and that doesn't represent us at all (laughs) and so that's really the only time that I saw it affecting me but I love that I had someone within the company that was like no like be you be who you are do you girl and I was like okay the twang will come (laughs) say less (laughs) (laughs) so obviously the title of our podcast is Ambitious Appalachia. Um, so clearly we're all pretty ambitious people or we would like to think that we are. So where would you say your ambition comes from, Ashley? Oh, this is the easiest question that I'll answer. And it will be the hardest thing that I will say without crying. Um, I'm really getting emotional, like even thinking about it. So we'll meet my crazy emotional self, but my mom, hands down, my mom, and I think we all three have said that, and I love that about us, that we share that in common, but my mom, and my mom, and this is where really all my ambition comes from, and it came from a moment, it came from, you know, just growing up, and of course, watching her, but there was one moment in particular that really kind of 
stuck with me. Um, she went through a traumatic divorce um, with my stepdad, my ex-stepdad. And my voice will be a little bit shaky. But so she was a single mom. And um, she was, I was, I was probably 16. I was getting ready to go to my junior prom. And we were going prom dress shopping. And for all my thicker girls out there, you will understand that it was a horrible experience because 12 years ago when I went to prom, um, there wasn't really a lot of cute, you know, prom dresses for thicker girls. And so it was a struggle of the day. It was just, oh, blah. And I'm even going to like name drop the place because they were just awesome from what I remember, you know, 12 years ago, but it was Kentucky Mountain Bridal. And it was in Prestonsburg and we go in and I'm trying on a couple of dresses and I'm just not, not feeling myself. And I'm just like, I'm just going to have to settle for one. The lady's like, here, try this one on. And it was this black dress. And I was like, oh God, I'm not trying to go with a black dress. Like, hey, my girl. I was just a, such a little brat. But I was like, okay, I'll try it on. And I come out and I was just like, fell in love with it. Boobs sitting nice in it. The whole <laughs> back was like crystals. And it was just beautiful dress. And my mom saw my face light up. And like, it was just awesome. So she's like, you know, she comes over. She's like, okay, so this one is $500. And I was like, shit and in my head at that moment I was like I have to pretend I hate this dress because I know what she'll do you know and before I even got a chance she's like we're gonna buy it and I remember thinking that's a lot of money that's like our rent like that's a lot of money and I was I felt so bad but she's like picking out jewelry and you know she's here she is you know gonna buy me this $500 prom dress and she's working two jobs and she's you know, just hustling to make sure that I have what I want and that I feel pretty in that moment and that I'm happy and I'm going to have a good time and I feel confident. And so really from that moment on, I knew that like, and it's something that stuck with me, but it wasn't until later in life that I appreciated it, that I was going to make sure that all of her hurt and all of her struggle and all of her pain was for wasn't you know for nothing that she can look back and say hey I went through all that so that my daughter can be a strong independent woman and I always get emotional but I hope that that's you know she can look at me and see that now um and that's really from that moment um you know her doing everything she can for me this is the least I can do for her is just to be successful and independent and not ever have to worry about staying in a relationship or a situation that you know is doing me harm or bringing me harm and so um I think that's um where I'm at now and you know I was I was able she was able to go with me when I bought my first new car you know and that was a big moment you know and so and even she was like you know this was something I was never able to do, you know? And so, yeah, that's, that's where she's where I get my ambition from a hundred percent. And looking back, there was times that I would be so mad because she wasn't as attentive as other, some of the other like softball moms, you know, they'd bring snacks and candies and and I'd be mad that she was late or didn't bring me a freaking snack wrap from McDonald's. I'd be so pissed. 
And now I look back and like, girl, why did you even come? Like, this is exhausting. <laughs> like working and then working another job. Like now, you know, looking back, I'm like, I can't, I'm just, I should have just been thankful that she came, you know, and supported me and stayed up late when she had to get up and work again and no days off, you know, working weekends. And, but I hope now that if I can give her anything, I'm not giving her grandchildren yet, but if I can give her anything, it's that she can rest easy at night knowing that like, I'm doing well, I'm taking care of myself and that I'm fine. Um, so how do you think that, that your, your relationship with your mom and like seeing her go through, uh, what you did, how do you think that that will affect your, um, the way you raise your children? If you, if that's something you want to do, I think you've mentioned like you may want to have kids um, down the road. So do you think that has an effect on the way you'll raise your kids? Oh yeah, 100%. Um, my mom is, I think she's the best mom, of course. Um, she had me when I was 19, when she was 19. So we kind of, you know, grew up, you know, kind of together and um, she was the best mom, you know, dinner's cooked. She went through so much, but it was so much for my brother and I. And now looking back at it, like, I definitely want my children to have the same values that she, you know, that she has instilled in me as far as, especially if I have a daughter, um, I want her to have that same mindset of, I never have to stay in a shitty relationship or stay in a relationship where I'm, I'm being hurt or harmed because I have to rely on him for money. Yeah. Or, um, or the fear of not being able to do it on her own. And so that is, you know, definitely something that I see me instilling in my, my daughter, especially. Um, but really even, you know, my son or, whatever, you know, but yeah, that is definitely something that I see that I'm, that I want to make important if I'm a parent ever. I think you've successfully instilled that confidence in Chewy. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. He is such a strong little independent chihuahua. Strong independent man. Um, Ashley, I, I, I just, I first and foremost, like, I think it's awesome that you know, you, you're, you're in a place where you feel like you're vulnerable and, um, you want to share this so that you can inspire other young women, you know, um, and thank you though, for sharing that, because I know with even myself, it's, it's not easy to share tough things or just struggles in life or anything like that. And like, we could see and hear like, you know, the passionate, the, the passion and just the emotion behind what you were saying. So I know it's not easy to say those things, but I know I value what you're saying. And I know that everybody else hearing you, you know, values what you're saying. Um, and it's, it's impactful what you're saying. Honestly, it really is. Um, but like how you mentioned that you and your mom now, like you went and got your first car together. You know what I mean? Like, I love that you're just sharing those wins, you know, like, and you're set, you said that you, you get your ambition from your mom and she gets to see you like 
grab these degrees and see you like Ashley has her master's degree in social work now and she is a licensed clinical social worker not yet girl not yet but I'm a certified social worker so I'm working towards that (laughs) she's on the way watch out (laughs) um but I know that and I'm sure your mom listening this she's gonna probably cry too hearing it um but she I'm sure that she's incredibly proud of you and I know that you're incredibly proud of her so I'm I'm happy that I get to like witness like just part be a part of that I feel like you know so I think it's cool Ashley so back just thinking back to you know your childhood or even adulthood who was the first woman that you looked up to that was successful well we all measure success different and I think the first woman, of course, would be my mom that she got out of that relationship. And now she's happy traveling the world, gambling away her life. Um, I tell her all the time, you're just living your best life. Um, My stepdad's awesome. He puts up with us, so he has to be. But so, yeah, that was probably the first, you know, woman that I've um, saw that, you know, was successful in getting out of a relationship and starting on her own, but, um, I was in high school. I took a course called law and justice and I'm going to, I'm going to say her name because she will always stick with me. Her name is Ava Smith and she taught law and justice and she was once a social worker. And I love these classes, right? I'd get in there and she just, just had a way of like making you think. And I just loved her. I just loved her so much. And, um, so I was probably like 14, 15 saying, I want to be a social worker, you know? Well, everybody kind of really put a damper on that because they're like, oh, they don't make no money. All they do is take babies away. You don't need to be a social worker. But I was like, oh, man, well, I don't want to take babies away and I want to make some money. So I was like, I'm going to do law. And I went to I went to Bible College um, where we all met, started in some English courses, you know, towards that law degree. Hated it. Hated it. <laughs> then one of my friends who probably lived a little more privileged life than me was just like oh my god you should take the social work course they give you like this project where you have a food stamp budget and you have to make it work for a month's worth of groceries and I was like girl I got this now Pat I've lived on a budget that's not a project bro (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I took the class and Janessa Kilgore Bowling changed my life from that class on I was like no, nah, I'm going to be a social worker. And she, she calls me her mini her, but, um, she, she challenged me in my way of thinking. She got me thinking outside of myself. She constantly was like, but why, but why Ashley, but why and every answer I had, and I'd get so frustrated, but it made me really think. And she was, you know, just this successful social worker and successful social professor. And now she's launched the the master's program at UPIC, you know, it's new and she's super successful in that. And so those two women in particular, are someone that I just rem- like come to mind when that question's asked, because they really, because of them, I am who I am today. All three of them. There's many more, but those are three that definitely had an impact on the route that I went, you know, with social work. Something that I find interesting that you mentioned, Ashley, usually like a lot of people that 
we look up to just in generally just people who, um, who I might look up to, you might look up to, um, Katie might look up to. Usually the people that we look up to or we admire or um, in, in any of those sorts, they're people who challenge us um, and people who make us think. Um, and that's like me, like a light bulb clicking in my head right now. But I had to say that too. But I think that's unique because as you know, I hope that people look up to me as a person and I hope people look up to you all as a person. And it makes me think, okay, well, if people look up to me, I need to challenge my people, you know what I mean? That do look up to me and I need to challenge, um, I don't know, just, you know, you want to, you want to chat, not, not as like a a negative challenge, but you want to be able to, um, you know, motivate your friends or your family and in in those different types of sense and then also like just again the people that look up to you you know making them think I don't know kind of got off track there but um no I think that makes sense and I think that it says a lot about it and we used to hear this all the time in athletics but like you shouldn't be worried if a coach is on your ass you should be worried if they're not paying attention to you at all like that's a sign of concern is like, we, we want to, you know, improve upon the things or the people we care about, um, or we want what's best for them. And like, oftentimes, especially older people, like the things were wrapped up and when wrapped up in when we're young, like they've been through it already. And so they can say like, okay, well, I know I can walk you down that thought path of why you're thinking that way, because I've been there and like lead you to the right answer. So like, I think it's just a sign of like, it's a sign of love for sure, them challenging you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's something that clearly sticks with people, right? Like, she, she's, as much as, like, you know, she rode my ass, but Janessa will always stick with me. Like, things that she said, I'm like, okay, so I need to think, what are the other options? And damn her, because now I'm so, like, I see everything gray. Like, there's so many, like, areas and situations that I see it in gray, I, you know, it's, I don't see something as, you know, black or white and, um, white, but, um, I, um, appreciate and value that I'm able to do that now because of her. So, yeah. We should start a tally of the number of, um, long eyes in each of our episodes. What? <laughs> right. Right. Sprite. Oh yeah, I forgot about Sprite. <laughs> I I just know it because I'm addicted to Sprite Zero. <laughs> Sounds like you had a lot of examples, especially professionally, um, as far as who you wanted to be like. How have you taken their advice or their guidance a step further? How do you feel you've built on that? Okay. So there was a time in my life that I had just had my bachelor's degree and I stayed there for a while, you know, just holding that bachelor's degree and working at the hospital as a medical social worker and not cocky, but I'm confident I was good at it. And I became, became routine and I wasn't challenged and I was good at it, but I also befriended everybody, but I was, I'd befriended, you know, doctors and 
practitioners and, you know, business owners, and they would want to do things or go places. And I didn't have the money. It wasn't something that I could just easily like pick up and go like they could. And I knew not going into a medical field that, um, you know, I wouldn't make that money quite as fast as they did, but I was sitting, you know, I was getting tired of just not being able to do anything and like say no. And, um, like I was sitting here, that's crazy. I was sitting in my apartment one night and I was having just like a moment, like I had like a rough day, boys and just different shit, you know? And so I was sitting here and I just started to cry. And I was like, all my friends are these like these powerful, successful people who, you know, women who have taken a step further and, you know, have, you know, nurse practitioners, doctors, business, like everything I said, you know, and I was like, what am I, what do I want to do? How is this the life I want to live? Just settled in this apartment, not doing anything, watching my friends through Instagram, you know, live their dreams. And I set up and I wiped my tears and I applied for grad school that night. And, um, yeah, so I went to grad school in a pandemic. (laughs) Um, and I, um, finished in last August. I got my license in September, October-ish, got a new job in October, making a lot more money and took a trip to New York with my girlfriends and, um, crazy trip that was awesome and I was able to experience that with them and then I bought a car and now I'm moving and these things are just kind of unfolding and it's that one night that one night of just like just thinking like here are my friends that you know are such role models and they've done it and they've taken a step further how am I gonna do a step further and that's that's how it happened and um you know and for people who are listening I was 30 and I'm 31 now so have I was a late bloomer took it, you know, took that extra step later in life. So what? So what? And I had, I had, I was one of these girls, right? From the culture who had set a timeline for myself. When I'm 25, I'm going to be married. And I'm going to have kids. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not white picket fence. You know, I had this whole like timeline set for myself. And when I didn't meet that timeline, I got scared. That time was running out. And I wasn't going to be able to have anything I wanted, but here I am 31 and I'm making these moves. So it's okay. Like if you're late bloomer, it's fine. So what it'll happen, get it, you know, it, you can still do it. There's no timeline for success. I don't think there is, you know, I think, you know, you look at some stuff and Oprah Winfrey started late, Tina Fey, like these, you know, very successful, powerful women started later in life. And, um, so yeah, that was how I took it a step further and that I'm not setting a timeline for myself anymore. That was one of the biggest challenges I overcame, especially with the culture and that I said, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking this shit right now, um, is that I'm not putting a timeline on a family or a child or success. Like I'm not doing it. And so here I am about to make the first move, move out of my hometown at 31 you know, a lot of people do that younger and here I am, you know, doing it later and I'm nervous as hell, but I'm so excited and I'm pumped. But that was, that was that moment. I have moments that I remember that just like, 
set up, wipe the tears, plot for grad school. <laughs> you know, Ashley, that just speaks to, you know, your level of accountability within yourself. And I think as um, perf- all three of us, just professionals within our careers, that is something, especially, you know, um, all three of us work from home in a sense. Um, I'm blended a little bit, but um, it, it's something that's imperative when you enter any sort of career that you are holding yourself accountable um, in, your, in your work um, and then also just in your life within, most importantly in your life, um, making sure you take care of you Number first and foremost, so that you can take care of your family or take care of your dog or take care of a loved one. Um, because number one, if you don't take care of yourself, you're not able to take care of anyone else. Um, exactly. but even more so challenging yourself. Ashley had a come to Ashley moment, it sounded like <laughs> in, in her apartment. And um, honestly, I've had those moments too, and I'm sure Katie has too. You have to be real with yourself at some point and ask yourself, am I the reason for what I'm not happy with? Can I change it? And if you can change it, you have to take action. No matter how far away the end goal may seem, you have to take action and progress is progress, no matter how slow it is. Um, exactly. And I'm getting chills saying all this. No, I feel like Audrey just preached the gospel. I'm, yes. Yes. I'm, I'm motivating myself over here and now. The like, What's and going no, on? Like, Coach Audrey's coming out. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but yeah, I think that, you know, just it's imperative as a human being to be, become a better human being every day. And by doing so, you need to hold yourself accountable. Um, yes, that's all I have to say about that. Like self-awareness is probably the hardest thing that I've done. It's just, you know, you said it, like, I realized like I was the problem that I wasn't able to travel with my friends and, you know, I can wallow in self-pity that I didn't have the same opportunities and different things. And, and I did. And so I, you know, being self-aware that like, Hey, you know, this is a you problem. You got to fix it. And it's really hard to, even with different things, relationships or, you know, um, anything really is like taking a step back and looking, you know, at yourself. It's, it's hard to be real with yourself. We, you know, love to place blame, but sometimes it just comes down to like, okay, so I'm kind of being a bitch today. This might be my fault. I'm, I'm working on becoming more self-aware of, you know, triggers more self-aware of biases and and different things so it's it's been a hard uh, I can't say it's one of the hardest things that I've done is practice self-awareness but it's also been um, something that's definitely led to the success I have right now well good job Ash well you're thank you so much so it's paying off Oh. For anyone who doesn't know what I do, I'm a uh, mastered level social worker. I have a certified social work license, and I'm a program manager for a um, 
for a uh, company who is for profit, but we practice case management for continuity of care with a large insurance company here in Kentucky. Nice. I'm a man, I'm a boss. <laughs> I'm a boss. I'm a boss. Every day I'm hustling. <laughs> We're going to get copyright <laughs> emails that I'm going to have no, to deal with. Is, I'm not an attorney. I'm, I'm not prepared for this. Every day I'm hustling. <laughs> oh, man. So if there's any attorneys I'm out old. there that are looking to work pro bono in benefit of the Ambitious Avalanche podcast, when we get all these cease and desists, uh, yeah, keep us posted. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You talked earlier about how social work is often like discouraged because one, it doesn't make a lot of money um, historically, and two, which is a travesty, might I add, and two, um, it's heartbreaking and it's tough and it's a lot to take home. And you know, I think one of our former teammates, she she got out of social work because it was too heavy um, to carry those burdens every day, and so like enjoy your life um, on top of, you know, not being compensated well for it. So what advice would you give to a young woman that wants to maybe go down your career path and take it a step farther, or even somebody that's just from um, a similar situation as you, it may not even be the career, but what advice would you give them? Okay. So I have a couple of things um, to say about this. So if you think about social work, um, the stereotype is baby snatchers. So that is a social service worker. That is not actually the social work field. And a lot of those people in that position are not social worker. They do not have a social work degree. Social workers can, and Audrey even posted it on her, um, on her Instagram and Appalachia, um, ambitious Appalachia. We posted it on our Instagram and it is social work month. March is social work month. They give us a whole month because there is so much shit we can do. So you can work for CPS, APS. You can also be a licensed clinical social worker, which is a therapist. They can do therapy. There are lobbyists who are social workers. Um, there are educators. Um, there are advocates, um, counselors. Oh my God, so much. A medical social worker. I worked in the hospital. Um, I'm now, you know, case manager. Um, I'm a program manager. I'm a case manager. Um, there's administration, so many different things that we can, you know, do. There's actually even a social worker. This is embarrassing that I don't know her name. But there is a social worker um, that um, our president put on staff. So um, his daughter is actually a social worker. Her name's Ashley. So um, there's so much, there's so many things that, that you can do with that degree. And my advice to someone who feels stuck or comes from, you know, a similar background or just maybe later in life is one, do not set yourself a timeline. There is no timeline. There is no imaginary age where shit should happen. Two, surround yourself with ambitious women or people in your life, you know, surround yourself with the people you want to be like, who you admire. And I promise that will spark some shit in you that you just didn't know. And I'm so thankful every day that that was an opportunity that was given to me just 
it all came from working at the hospital, but I surrounded myself with these, you know, super successful, ambitious women. And it just, it's contagious. And, um, they all, you know, gave me advice and they were my rocks definitely during grad school and motivating me. And something I'm looking at now is, you know, my doctorate in social work. And I have some of my friends, they're definitely pushing me. And I said, that's fine, but you're calling me Dr. Brown. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so those are, those kind of, my advice is don't set your timeline and surround yourself with some ambitious, powerful women. Um, I don't know what to say. I'm blank. I had no idea that a social work um, degree was so versatile. That's news to me. Yeah, it's, it's news to a lot of people. And that's, you know, I think that's why, um, the whole social work month came about to bring awareness that this is, you know, if this is something you want to do, this is definitely a degree you can do it in. And, um, like Audrey had, you know, asked me if I was a licensed clinical social worker. So that's like top tier social work, right? That's where the money comes in, honey. That's some good money, but they often practice clinical social work, you know, therapy and a lot have their own practices and, um, they just, top tier in the therapy world um and that's ultimately you know something I want to do I'd love to one day um provide therapy for eating disorders and self-esteem uh issues so that's definitely a goal I'm reading about it all the time but I'm just still so proud that you know of myself that I've not settled again like I'm still hungry for more Ashley, you mentioned about how um, a licensed clinical social worker, they do get, you know, larger pay than just um, if they're not a, what, if they're not um, a clinical social worker? A certified social worker. Okay. So it goes, it goes licensed social worker, certified social worker, licensed clinical social worker. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) So, um, but Ashley, I'm glad that you mentioned that about, you know, a clinical social worker getting um, more pay than, than the other uh, being a certified social worker, right? Yes. Um, so I've actually had experience working with social workers this recently, and um, their job is really, really, it's a lot like working in just therapy and even counselors. I know that, you know, it's hard to, I I don't know, but I can only imagine how hard it is to, you know, hear all of these different stories of so many people every single day and then go home and, you know, just live your own life. It's just hard. And I'm sure that that weighs on you. Um, and, I just want to make sure that people are aware, the listeners are aware, if, if you are thinking about social work or um, anything of that sort, counseling, um, becoming any sort of licensed or certified um, health professional, especially in social work, um, there are lots of grants that are going towards loan repayments that will pay for your student loans once you become certified or, or licensed, um, and 
you obviously have to provide a two or three year commitment with that, um, but you can get up to 50 to $100,000 depending on what you apply for um, and what's available. But um, I just don't want no one to think that, you know, social work is stay away from social work or social work has a bad rap or something like that. Um, it's, it's definitely a promising career because they will always be around and there is a huge need for social workers right now. Um, and there, um, just the healthcare industry is focusing on a lot of burnout for health professionals across the board. So not only social workers, but everyone across the board. And I expect to just see in the healthcare industry, lots of incentives and um, just support from their companies or their just healthcare in general that are, is going to help with burnout. Um, so as far as just um, the support from your company's administration, we hear you all, you know, um, and we, we were in the process of developing and if, if not already had just different um, opportunities to just relieve stress and make work more um, suitable to actually work because we understand that it's hard and people are tired and people are burnt out. Um, but um, yeah, that's it. They call it the social work five, right? So a lot of social workers and out in the field, they burn out after five years in that role. So thank God there's so many different you know, roles that we can, different hats that we can put on, as I like to say. Um, but yeah, um, there are, there are some social workers that will try to definitely push people away from the profession. And then there's me <laughs> and, um, because it's so diverse. Now the pay is of course, um, which, you know, bachelor level, I always explain it how physical, explain it as close to like physicians, right? So with a bachelor's degree, not going to make a whole lot of money with the, with the bachelor's in social work. Um, I've been there. Right. And then, but once you get your master's, there are more opportunities. So that's, you've graduated mid school kind of with your master's, but until you do two years of supervision for your LCSW, that's like your two years of residency. Then you start putting it and then you start really like you get into those six figures. Um, but in now we're seeing a change though and it's it's slow and it's gonna it's gonna take time but we're definitely seeing a change in that compensation um especially in I hate to say it but um you know especially in um some of the more rural areas um because starting out as a bachelor level social worker at a local uh, mental health facility, I think I made $12 an hour. That's what the bachelor's degree, you know, I could have went to Hobby Lobby and made more. Um, but that has definitely changed. And it's definitely, you know, it's something that we are, you know, especially coming out of a pandemic, right? And with all that's going on, there's more mental health services that are needed. And luckily, social media is actually promotes uh, therapy and, mental health and we're trying to change that stereotype around going to therapy you know therapy is cool um but um so the higher the demand you know the more room you have to say hey I want this money 
I actually negotiated my salary with this job and it was the first time I'd ever done that. And I, you know, I knew my worth. And so I did it and they came back with it. And I was like, oh my God, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like professional side for a minute. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but um, I knew my worth, you know, I knew what I'm worth and I hope. And, you know, I think with any helping field, like helping um, human services or helping a uh, profession that you could definitely be paid more, like, you know, and that goes back, you know, but it's just, I think it's just, you know, we know how hard they work and we know how hard we work. And, you know, if it were up to me, we'd all make six figures a year, but you know, we, we're going to get there and definitely seeing a change in the rural areas. And I'm so happy for that. So, um, yeah, but I'm a big social work advocate. And, um, if you want to do therapy, that's the route. Cause I, um, and then there's, you know, LPCCs, which are just the same, you know, um, we all come from a little bit different backgrounds of psychology and social work, but, um, those are two, um, fields that if you want to do therapy, that's, that's the road. That's where I think you should go. It's definitely in those two routes for sure. Ashley, thank you so much for sharing, um, your story with us, your background with us. Um, I feel like I know you a lot better now. So um, I'm hoping that whoever is listening feels that way as well. And I'm sure there's lots of people that can relate to um, some of the topics you touched on. So this was our third episode of Ambitious Appalachia. Um, We will have another episode released in two weeks. So we hope you guys will tune in to the next episode and um, please make sure you are engaging with us on social media and letting us know what you want to hear, what topics you want us to cover and what guests you want us to reach out to. So with that being said, bye. Thanks. Peace. Oh, uh, this has been Ambitious Appalachia. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Ambitious Appalachia. If you want to connect with us, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at Ambitious Appalachia. You can also follow us on Twitter at Ambitious App Pod. Feel free to message us and let us know what you'd like to hear and topics you'd like us to cover, maybe even guests you'd like us to have. And most importantly, tell your friends. And we will see y'all next time.